Hey, Sandy. Hey, Nora. What's up? Not too much. Uh, in the last episode, we promised to offer some advice, give some ideas on how to resist Doug Terrio. Okay, but we don't have to. We don't have to frame it like that. Like it's it's not just on Terrio that we're talking about here. Like we're just talking about how to organize in this world. That's right. Which is increasingly more polarized and where we have to deal with the type of politics that Doug Ford espouses and everywhere. We have to deal with more of that everywhere. So it's important to share some skills. Yeah. If you look across Canada, it's it's pretty remarkable, actually. You've got Pallister in Manitoba, who's a conservative. You've got Mo in Saskatchewan, who's a conservative. The CAC is probably going to win in, in Quebec and Francois Legault is a conservative. Jason Kenney's probably going to come back soon too. So for sure, that's a good reminder for me to not be so Ontario centric, <laughs> despite the fact that you're the one in the center of the universe, not me. <laughs> yeah. Come on. You see, Torontonian's not all so bad. <laughs> but something else happened this week that I think we should touch on. Well, and it's it, it's actually really tied into what has created the conditions that we have found ourselves in. Absolutely. Okay, so we're always talking about the media on this show because you kind of can't talk about politics without talking about the medium through which everybody gets information about their politics, which is mostly the news, mainstream media, whether it's, you know, through the new the new news of like Twitter and Facebook and the way they do things or, you know, the national live on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> Or, or through, you know, magazines or newspapers or what have you. And this week, Rogers fired a whole lot of people. And we've been seeing some hot takes on social media of people saying, like, this is what's happening to the publishing industry or to news media because people aren't paying for news. People won't pay through the paywalls or people won't... Uh, subscribe to magazines or uh, whatever. And this and this Rogers communication thing affects people at uh, McLean's and Flair and where else? What am I missing? Today's Parent, Chatelaine, Money yeah. Sense, mm-hmm. a lot. A lot of, uh, it was, it's a whole third of the digital publishing platform of Rogers Media. Mm-hmm. A whole third. Mm-hmm. And so... What do we think about that take that Rogers desperately needs our money in order to continue (laughs) to have these people hired? Rogers really hard up, apparently, um, in order to (laughs) keep Hmm. these people um, who are creating content uh, employed. That's a really great question. So Rogers is one of these corporations that's ubiquitous, especially if you live in Toronto. Rogers, it feels like Rogers owns everything. It's like... Toronto used to be controlled by the Family Compact, which was a group of businessmen and religious leaders in the 1800s who did control the city of Toronto. And they 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 governed, they ruled, they um, they created their own schools, they created their own elite. And not much has changed. Like the, the names are different, but 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 Toronto is certainly and Ontario is certainly run by these these very large corporations. And one of these corporations, of course, is the Rogers Empire. And so Rogers Communications, 
broadly, uh, Ohm's, uh, Rogers, uh, cable and cell phone or, or cell phone and internet services. And Rogers Media is a division of Rogers Communications. And it's Rogers Media that is losing some money versus Rogers, the rest of the Rogers empire that's making quite a lot of money. And in fact, in 2017, the profit of Rogers, of the Rogers empire was more than a billion dollars. And so Rogers gets away with making more than a billion dollars in profit in 2017 and at the same time making deep cuts as well to Rogers Media that happened, uh, that has already happened. And this announcement that they're severing a third of their digital media workers is it's very clear that the corporation doesn't care about journalism. It doesn't care about good jobs. It doesn't care about um, the role that journalism plays in democracy or is supposed to play in democracy. And and it's I think it's also very interesting that you're seeing cuts at, at magazines, especially that are for women. There's also, you know, you know, you can make arguments, maybe money sense is more for men, but not really. Uh, but seeing the people who have lost their jobs at Chatelaine, at Flair, at Today's Parent, we don't have all the names, of course, of the people mm-hmm. who have lost their jobs. But it's like, of course, the first cuts that they're going to think to make are uh, the writer who's specifically talking about families at Today's Parent, uh, families who've got special needs, children or parents uh, and, and issues related to that, like. It's such a it's so cruel. And to see so many people in media who apparently understand how things work and say, you got to go buy your magazines, folks, you've got to pay for your media is so Guys. frustrating. <laughs> Roger, like the, the takeaway from this should not be that Rogers needs you to be their mouthpiece uh, to to like <laughs> advertise for them that should not be the takeaway rogers does not need us to do those things if rogers wanted to treat their workers fairly and to uh, provide the sort of funding behind the type of journalism that we need right now in this country they could they have that cash trust me oh yeah and i don't know if uh, these workers were unionized you know it'd be good to find out what their union is doing if they if they were unionized um, I suspect uh, that a bunch of them were not unionized, and that's probably why this is uh, it's so easy to do. But if you are someone who is employed at uh, Rogers Media and are listening to this uh, and are no longer or are just reeling from the announcements, you know, hit us up, let us know uh, what you think about what we think about it, and uh, let us know if anyone's doing any sort of organizing or some sort of response to it, because this is really shitty. And it's it's part of, like, I guess, a pattern of mm-hmm. things that have been happening. So, you know, I'm sorry about all of those people who are going through this right now. It's uh, it's pretty shitty. Yeah, it's really desperate. And, um, you know, I'm I'm someone that, well, <laughs> maybe before April w- would be pitching to these uh, to these magazines. And you just wonder what is the end game? Like what is going to satisfy these corporations and it's not just Rogers, right? It's post-media as well. There's definitely a funding crisis in some way in media. Organizations like Torstar are not as profitable as they once were. Um, there's a, an incredible shift for La Presse to go not-for-profit, which is uh, working its way right now to the National Assembly. Uh, there's there's quite a lot of interesting debate about that. La Presse going not-for-profit potentially shows us a way to protect 
journalism. Mm -hmm. uh, it'll be an interesting experiment to see this. But if we're if we're honest with ourselves, it's like post media is owned by a Tory who benefits with having a low level of political literacy among the population because the Tories are masters at manipulating that. How do we not make these kinds of connections where all of the, the right wing rhetoric that dominates the mainstream media dominates the mainstream media? The natural result is the conditions are created to just sever a whole third of your workforce. And then rather than instantly saying, holy shit, guys, Rogers could fund media. Rogers mm -hmm. could fund media. Like I'm part of a union where we have $2,000 and we're trying to determine how much money we can pay for 600 word articles to try and get people to write about their workplace conditions as a freelancer. $2,000. And we're like, great, we can do 10 articles. Rogers made one point what two one point two one point four billion dollars last year mm -hmm. and they're like oh sorry 75 people we don't give a rat's ass about your family we don't care about your careers we don't care about the properties that you work for we don't care that flair is is actually doing wonderful journalism right now that chatelaine yeah really great shit that chatelaine like i've got a lot of criticisms about about chatelaine but one thing that i cannot criticize at all is how they became relevant again <laughs> <laughs> right um you know I, I I get so mad about this I I was very lucky to grow up um in a house where my father was a librarian and so I grew up reading these magazines from a very young age because we got all the magazines to our house and so I I every month I would have honest to god a hundred magazines coming to my house and and in it fostered in me like a real appreciation for the printed word obviously that is the world that I found myself in and clearly Canadians want magazines clearly they want they 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 like their news but the idea that it's us that is going to save these industries is so fucked and so backwards it's like i already pay for a daily newspaper to my house that i barely read because who the fuck reads the tuesday morning newspaper but i pay for that because it's important how much more are we supposed to are we expected to do and how how much more are we expected to ignore from rogers and they're just their billions and their billions and it's like whatever you know we're gonna buy the the, the sky dome we're gonna we're gonna buy the the blue jays or, or have you know broadcasters whatever oh it's so frustrating buildings at ryerson buildings at uft or wherever i don't think they actually have a building at uft but they certainly sit on the board of uh the board of governors or the governing council or whatever it is it's just like there's there's tons of money yeah <laughs> just, they're not hard up the solution um to this uh decision this financial decision and quite frankly political decision because there's different ways to look at the and social decision that they've made um is not me buying some subscriptions <laughs> it's not going to be the thing buying more subscriptions right like yeah i'm sure you have subscriptions yeah. to something yeah like it, it's not going to assist anyway. No. So the impact that this has, of course, on public discourse. Now, I can also get super cynical, like fuck McLean's. They're, they're not really adding to the public discourse in a positive way. So, OK, whatever. <laughs> but yeah, fuck you, McLean's. <laughs> <laughs> but that's uh, that's that's not actually what I what I feel, even though a lot of what McLean's publishes, I think, is garbage. There's still very important journalism that happens at McLean's, which is more important than the columns that I would consider to be mm -hmm. garbage. That was so charitable of you to say. <laughs> well, look at it. I'm like, contrary to what people have heard, I'm actually super fucking nice. So everyone just needs to like chill <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't describe you as super fucking nice, but... Um... <laughs> 
I I do I do agree that people should chill. Uh, I would describe you as caring, thoughtful, and not knee jerk. Yeah, that's cool. So, which is to say, you wouldn't just hate McLean's because they did a fucked up thing to you. You won't write for them anymore. Well, I uh, might probably on principle, but you would, no, no, I'll go back. If would, they asked me to write something, I'd say yes. Oh, really? Interesting. Um, weird. Maybe in a couple months, not right now. Not right now. I wouldn't. <laughs> no, go on. Okay, on principle. So, you know, okay. there's that. <laughs> I'm standing there behind you, <laughs> even if you won't stand for yourself. Oh. Uh, but you would, but you would like uh, fairly assess everything because. You're you're not just like fuck them just because anyway. No, Nora, not nice, but not exactly, not not nice. Oh my god, that is that. I need that on a fucking hat that I would wear all the time. <laughs> but the the impact of these cuts, I I don't think we can overstate the impact of these cuts. Part of of Roger's uh, comment when they made the announcement was that this will not impact the quality of journalism that they produce, <laughs> which is a laughable. <laughs> okay, there you go. <laughs> You're laughing. Uh huh. Is a laughable statement, and it's just it just you know is like whatever uh, sad PRs PR person had to write that. It's like oh my god, may may God have mercy on your soul. <laughs> but the 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 role that these um that 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 media has on shaping public opinion and helping us understand what the fuck is going on i think this is the perfect segue into the other part of this podcast um which we introduced at the start which is how in the fuck do we fight back against these forces when one of the most important tools that we have is under such tremendous attack from a tremendous external attack and then has created this perverse thing where internally there's only a few shining stars on the horizon of of decent critical writing that exists mm-hmm. um aside from you know important investigative reporting or or the day-to-day reporting that um is also really important of course we are in a new media era where Fake news is news, like for sure. I, I, I'm not even sure it's worth calling fake news such as it is. And reaching people has never been more easy and more difficult. What do you mean by that? We have mass communication capacity that we've never had as individuals. Yeah, I, well, the easy part I get. The, what do you mean by more difficult? Reaching people has never been more difficult. People are so siloed through their social media feeds, through a lack of local uh-huh. news, okay. right? Yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that like it, it. actually is really, really difficult to reach people. Except it's so funny. It's like it's like Back to the Future, which I never actually saw. So fucking you know, forgive me if I don't have any idea what I'm talking about because that movie never was not part of my childhood. But the the reality is is that we have to in some ways, ignore that reality and do the most traditional organizing possible. And Mm -hmm. I don't know if you saw, did you see the statistics about how Joel Harden won Ottawa Center from Yasser Nakhdi? You mean like the how how major he won? Yeah, by the the, the straight vote count and... um, Are you talking about demographic breakdown? uh, Just straight straight votes. Yeah, yeah, no, I saw them. There is a large margin. Yeah, and I feel like this is where we need to to focus. The 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 on the ground organizing has never been more important. 
um, really basic, basic level of organizing. So yeah, no. I'll, I'll just end with this. So there's an article in The Socialist Worker, socialist.ca by Tom Leonard, about Joel Hardin. And it's definitely a good article that you should check out. But there's he he goes through some of the numbers. So Nakfi, who's like one of the more popular liberal politicians, as we've said previously on this show, you know, uh, Sandy and I worked with Yasser to write a private members bill that ended up getting killed by his own party. But whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll treasure the, the time we spent Yasser writing that motion together. <laughs> I actually don't hate Yasser Nakfi. I thought I thought he was he was all right to work with. Yeah, yeah. No, no, he really was. He really was. Although he couldn't have been defeated by a better candidate either. So it's like all yeah. good. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and we're not he's not Glenn Murray, right? Fuck. <laughs> no. We should have a whole show on Glenn Murray. Anyway, let's continue. <laughs> well, that has to be late at night with a lot of wine. Oh, so I'm going to throw some numbers at at you all and uh and I hope that this kind of segues right into into some some super smart stuff from Sandy. Uh, we'll call that the the triple S. <laughs> um <laughs> super smart stuff from Sandy. I think that's four S's. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Who's counting? Oh my god, whatever. Like what do I know? I can't count. Okay. So, yeah, sir, one Yasser, in 2014, won Ottawa Centre with um, 27,000 votes, just over 27,000 votes. And it was an absolute majority of the votes votes cast. So he had more than 50% of the votes cast. This year, Joel Hardin got 29,500 votes. He almost tripled the vote from uh, 2014 for the NDP. And he beat, I'm reading here from the socialist.ca, he beat the total that NACFI received four years ago by more than 2,000 votes. Mm. He got more votes than NACFI ever has, despite the fact that NACFI has won the previous three elections. And and some information that I've heard from Hardin's campaign is that they won almost every poll in the riding. Wow. That's major. They activated new people. They activated new people. And so, you know, I've been following this uh, since Joel won the nomination. They He was saying that they were in buildings where people had never seen a politician before. They had never had anyone knock on their door. They had no, they never had anyone to talk to about politics. And if you know Joel, like he's a super talkative guy. And so part, I think, of his charm is that he spent a lot of time on the doorsteps listening to people. Um, nothing that they did was... was uh, innovative in terms of something that has never been done before. That mm-hmm. campaign was just basic grassroots organizing, mm-hmm. which I think also won in a lot of other parts of the province. Um, and I and I know in the case of Sarah Singh in Brampton, like she only won with eighty nine votes or so. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was another location where obviously, like they were fighting vote for fo- vote for vote to win. Mm-hmm. So I'll stop there. Um, because I think that that helps to lay the groundwork of the conversation about how do we continue to organize. Yeah, I think there's a, uh, a like a renewed interest uh, from people or well, a new interest, let's say, from people who perhaps don't know uh, what it means to organize. And this is, you know, coming off of the episode that we had a couple weeks ago where we're like, uh, training isn't happening. It's like, OK, so now in, in a world where a lot of people haven't been trained and a lot of people want to do organizing. What do we do? Uh, how do we organize? Mm-hmm. Getting a lot of questions. 
How do I organize? It is not that difficult. What, what people need to know about organizing, I think that people don't necessarily realize uh, right away when they're like looking at organizers and looking at what people are doing, is that it is a process of a lot of massive trial and error. And there's no like uh, pure formula for shifting, you know, an entire political culture. Otherwise, uh, Nora and I would have already brought forth the revolution, <laughs> but, which, you know, we're working on. But <laughs> it's like there's there's no formula. But there are things that we know that that do work. And what I will tell you is that writing things is important. And but I think we put a lot of effort into writing mm-hmm. on social media or reacting to things. And uh, we put too much there and not enough on the type of organizing that includes going and talking to people and making relationships with people. Uh, that is some of the most important types of organizing that you can do. And so with that in mind, if you're thinking to yourself, shit, Doug Ford's in, or you're thinking to yourself, damn it, Jason Kenny's gearing up for a comeback or whatever, what I need you to do What we all need to do is to think about the issues that we are most concerned about. So maybe when you're sitting where you're sitting in Ontario, the 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 most important thing that you care about is uh, or that you're closest to or you feel really passionate about that you have a lot of motivation to shift is uh, sexual education or maybe it's reproductive justice. Or maybe it's pipelines, you know, whatever it might be. If you are nervous right now and you are thinking to yourself, how do I organize? I hope that that means you have some passion for some sort of issue. And what you should do first is check to see if there are other people who are already organizing on this stuff. See if you agree with with what they're doing. If you don't have any, any experience, just check it out. Maybe go to an organizing meeting. If they have open organizing meetings, contact them say that you'd like to volunteer, whatever it is. And if there's not, if you don't see the thing that you really care about, you don't, you can't find some sort of organization, see if you can find other people. I mean, we're all like talking about these things on social media, um, hopefully in our neighborhoods as well. See if you can find other people who are near you who have the same thoughts and get together and talk about it. And Then figure out how to talk to more people about it. Organizing at its core is as simple as that. And it's not just, you know, figure out how to talk to more people via social media. You got to talk to people you don't know. We have lost this art in this new age of like speaking to people that we do not know, um, approaching people that we do not know. And this is the the type Mm. of some of the type of training that Nora and I were talking about in the last couple episodes, like just going up to someone you don't know and having a conversation with them. That is what organizing is. It is spreading the word. It's spreading the word and trying to activate people that the motivation that you feel to take action on a particular issue, you're trying to activate that motivation in other people. And so um, part of what I said in the last podcast was that you you know how to organize because you kind of do like 
you know, whatever, whether it's like, you know, you're trying to bring people to your place for a birthday party, it's kind of like the same situation. <laughs> you know, you're trying to activate people to be motivated to come to your, 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 your spot to like celebrate somebody. Well, well now it's, it, that's organizing a birthday party. Well, now you want to maybe organize other people to talk about or take action on a particular issue. And so, you know, that's step one. And maybe you need to learn a little bit about how the system functions and operates until you get all your peoples together and you're like, okay, does anybody want to do some research? Does somebody want to figure out how to, like, where we should talk to people? Maybe the issue is reproductive justice and we think, uh, you know, where can we find people who are really concerned with reproductive justice, perhaps at, uh, you, you know, universities, perhaps at high schools, perhaps at, uh, you know, community centers where people are already organized, you know, people are already organized into classrooms, into community organizations, whatever it is. And you find where those people are who care about those things to talk to them first, because they're going to maybe be the most motivated. You know, parts, parts of organizing, yes, are difficult and feel like a science, but the beginnings of it are not. And there's, I feel like, you know, what I felt like before we started BLM uh, was like, I was like waiting for someone else to do it. I was like, who's going to do it? Like what, who's doing it? (laughs) When are they going to do it? I I don't really know how to do it. So, but then, but then that was a lie. We all know how to, we, we know how to get people together. Um, for small things, at least. And maybe we can, through through the power of all of our minds coming together in some sort of discussion, figure out how to bring more people together. That's how you start. Totally. I, uh, I was in a meeting last night that I helped to organize. And in my, uh, in my local riding, there, we had a very acrimonious nom- uh, nomination Um, election process and so me and someone else in town were like well you know we're we're, this is a political party that just fused with another political party our political party fused with other political parties in the past no one really knows the history no one really understands all of the ways that movements fed into where we are today so let's have let's have a chat and so we invited anybody that wanted to come we picked, well, we identified some movements that we wanted to hear the history of. Uh, there was a, a last minute kind of problem where, you know, we couldn't get everybody there because there was conflicts with other other events or whatever. There wasn't tons of, of notice. And um, but the result was we had 20 people in a room. Most of them didn't know each other, which was really awesome. And we heard histories from people that we didn't know. Like, I, I heard the history of Quebec Solidaire, which I know. I heard the history of how the, the, the Quebec Federation of Women came to be and how the women's movement was born very specifically out of a out of an anti-poverty perspective, that it was that mm-hmm. was a feminized anti-poverty perspective of the 1960s. I didn't know that. I saw people literally having no idea about about the, the women's movement, for example. Uh, their brains kind of, like, exploding as they were hearing these stories. And we also heard from the perspective of one person who was there how the world in 1960 seemed like anything was possible and all the all the horizons were open. And then you you move forward 30 years, sorry, 20 years and the 1980s. And all of a sudden, everything felt like it was closed. And so we're all entering Mm -hmm. these movements at different periods of time. 
And our experiences are so vastly different. And if we don't create these spaces to, to build relationships, we, we completely lose this uh, knowledge exchange. Like, you know, a, a lot of, a lot of um, union activists will say that uh, the most important period of time to build relationships is like on the picket line where you're in struggle. You're in the middle of struggle. And mm-hmm. like the, the, the bonds mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You, you create through struggle are absolutely critical. Uh, certainly, Sandy, you and I have a bond that has been forged through, through struggle for sure. Mm-hmm. But it, but you can't always wait for that crisis to forge to forge those relationships. And it's exactly as you said. It like we organized this like a party. We had a lot of wine. We had a lot of chips. <laughs> we had you know <laughs> bottles of water uh, filled up, not actual plastic bottles of water, but like you know proper anyway <laughs> containers of water. Where you know we sat in a circle. It was in someone's house. There was like fifteen cats there, which was a mm-hmm. surprise. It was so nice and so rare that at the end of the night everyone was like wow I was really skeptical about what we were going to do tonight because the the details were vague and I was like what do you mean the details were vague we said we're going to come together and we're going to talk about our common roots (laughs) it was like yeah I guess that's literally all we did (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah it's you know that's how it begins and you know, you you talking about that um, uh, and also talking about Joel's campaign, you know, I worked on Dolly Begum's campaign on uh, Election Day. And I think uh, part of her massive success was in part because of the way that people who were volunteering for her were treated in her campaign. It didn't feel like a typical zone house where you go on an, on an election day and you're like given a sheet and you're like, go, go get out there and pull the vote. It was at her home. So you you were greeted by her mom, who had made a bunch of biryani for everybody and had coffee and tea. And she was like making sure that everybody who came through the door would have a seat first and have something to eat. And this is Ramadan. So she was fasting, you know, like she wasn't eating, but she was making sure that everybody who came through that door felt like a human being who was being thanked uh, for, you know, helping her daughter through this this situation. Her brother was standing by the stairs like. Um, shaking hands with everybody who came in and, you know, learning who they were and thanking them before going out and delivering flyers to people. Like it was, it just felt like a home full of people who really cared about one another and wanted to do something major. And it's the, the most successful organizing movements come from like this type of relationship building in my experience. Okay. It's not about what it might look like, you know, when you see it on television, which is just like this, like, oh, these people who hold these massive rallies, how do I do this? Or, oh, these people who hold these sit-ins or these demonstrations, I don't know how to do that. How do I do that? Well, it's it's actually not about that. In fact, so much of organized, like what that is, is mobilizing, which is um, slightly different and a part of organizing, absolutely. Um, and you know that that piece comes with the with the research and the coming together with trying to figure out creatively how to poke holes in a system that is doing things that is that are not uh, conducive to living well in this society. And you know the step two is to figure out where your access points are because I think. As a young organizer, the thing that shocked me the most when I finally, finally, it didn't take that long, when I figured it out, was how easy it was to access power. 
I think that's the thing that maybe makes people fearful. Like that is one, they think they don't know how to do it. And two, it being organizing. And two, they feel as though there's like this whole power apparatus and it's difficult to like poke anything in it. Well, I hope we've told you like in some ways that you do kind of know how to do some organizing. Like you, you've probably organized a dinner with some friends before. You're probably organizing for your employer you know, like, you know, whatever, whoever you work for, you've probably done some sort of organizing for them, whatever skills you bring from wherever you work, you've probably done some sort of organizing. Um, it, but you just didn't know that that's what it is. And then in terms of accessing power, power is actually like, it seems really far away, but it's actually really close. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's really tenuous. And there will always be more people on the bottom, quote unquote, who don't have the decision making power, who can force people at the top, quote unquote, to move. You can do that through tactics of embarrassment. You can do that through tactics of just, you know, being persistent and being annoying. You can do that through, you know, all sorts of measures. There's no rules that are hard and fast in this world. And anyone can access power. The most effective way to do that is to have as many relationships as possible in which all of you are similarly concerned with accessing or tackling or shifting power because just me taking on Glenn Murray actually that probably would have been successful <laughs> just me taking on like yeah, that's a yasser just me taking on yasser Nakvi <laughs> would probably be pretty difficult but me doing it with a whole bunch of other people um is who are similarly interested in uh, a goal to shift, I don't know, whatever he's doing as attorney general or to get Joel Harden elected or whomever or whatever it is, is going to be easier to do. Mm. And there's all sorts of different like you can choose different things to do. Like maybe you want to unseat a politician. Sure. OK, maybe you want to organize, you know, some sort of protection group for for doctors who refuse to listen to new rules that restrict reproductive rights. Hmm, yeah, do that. Maybe you want to organize a group that uh, responds every time a teacher is called out for teaching some sort of sex ed. And that group gets together every week mm. and they hear, you know, they allow teachers to like contact them and then they they write to protect them. Like they write op-eds or, um, you know, they, they assist teachers in developing a curriculum around it. Or maybe you you decide that you want to uh, do a sit-in in, in, in the legislature. You know, it, it can be so broad or it can be really small. It can be uh, focused on the power that exists. It can be focused on creating your own power, some sort of, maybe you create some sort of school where you're teaching people the types of things that you've learned through the research um, that you've done and you, you start your own thing. Like, I don't know what it is, right? Like, and, and we're not relying on uh, political power to do those things for us. But the, the possibilities are endless. There's no, all you have to do is be creative and you can create or take down whatever you want. That process of creativity, like what you just did right there was as if you were in a meeting with like six Sandy brainstorming <laughs> <laughs> yep. and riffing off of one another. This is, I think, also that is a little bit mysterious if you're not 
if you're not really involved in, in, in these kinds of discussions. The, the, the idea, uh, let me guess, the idea to, uh, for when Black Lives Matter stopped the Pride Parade for a total of, what, 20 minutes, that, that managed to just <laughs> be the parade-stopping moment felt throughout Canada. <laughs> uh, I, 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 <laughs> I'm guessing that that tactic was developed through intense brainstorming and debate. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think we I think we argued about what to do probably for three, three or four weeks of meetings. <laughs> Cause wow. we, couldn't, we couldn't figure out like, well, what's this thing going to do? That's going to be like we had all these different ideas. And then the actual like organizing of that action, probably like the planning process probably took less than an hour. Right. The creativity part is the hard part, like, because it was like, it was just like, what do we do? We had so many big ideas. And right. then and then the execution it was just like, OK, so we picked an idea. How do we execute it? You know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was a lot. It was a lot of discussion and debate for sure. And so once you get people into a room where you're actually having these kinds of discussions, this is where you have the, the, the most uh, important and the most fruitful debate on what exactly you can do. And sometimes the ideas are really bad. Right. Like, <laughs> Sometimes there's an idea suggested that's terrible, and the room usually handles it really uh, respectfully and politely. Like, if you have those good faith relationships that have been created, sometimes you come up with a great idea, mm-hmm. like dropping a banner off of the DVP overpass. on An overpass? With, yeah, on mm-hmm. the on Bloor, on, on Bloor Street, which is a bad idea because it's really high, and unless your banner is enormous, you can't see it. So, whoa, mm-hmm. learn that the hard way. <laughs> <laughs> but then you learned it, right? You tried exactly. it, it didn't work, and then you learned it, and so now you know that don't do it, and you can share that on this podcast, and like anyone who listens won't do it maybe <laughs> exactly don't don't even try it's not worth it you can try other overpasses but but don't go off the blur viaduct it's too high um and it's these kinds of discussions and debates are really important and they are the way that we come up with the the ways to disrupt power the the big lie that has been transmitted to us all is that change happens individually that if you start a fucking petition personally and it's uh, online and like 20,000 people sign it, you have created change. No. That is not at all how change happens. False. And if you're thinking to yourself, but Sandy, you have asked me to sign a petition. And Nora, (laughs) I have signed a petition of yours. These girls are liars. Well, let me tell you something. We were not collecting that petition in order to like submit a piece of paper where we thought that everything would change. Why were we collecting those (laughs) petitions, Nora? Every single signature represented a conversation that I had with an individual or a group of individuals about the subject matter contained within the petition. It was pretext, y'all. It was pretext. It was just like, (laughs) here's a reason for me to chat to you and to see, like, do you have time? Like, maybe, like, now that I'm chatting with you, oh, you seem like you're really interested in this. Well, maybe you should come to this organizing meeting. Can totally. I have your email? Put a star beside your like, name. there's a little email section right here on this petition, <laughs> and now I'm going to email you and see if you can come to this organizing meeting. That's petitions. That's the reason for petition. <laughs> so yeah, for, exactly. for every person in my past who was like, "This petition isn't going to work," it's like, "Yeah, I know. I didn't say <laughs> that, but obviously, <laughs> the petition isn't going to work. The petition, the purpose of the petition, was to have a conversation." With somebody that I didn't know, 
and it worked. It's like a little easier to do that with a clipboard than, you know, just being like, hey, dude, what's up? Have you heard about this thing? <laughs> it's just, you know, it's just like a little easier to do. <laughs> the, the, clipboard, the clipboard provided a legitimacy that uh, doesn't really make any sense, but there it is. <laughs> <laughs> That's all it does. <laughs> just a little clipboard. Yeah, that, you know, um, the, the, and I think, you, so there beca- there has become this like this idea that okay so yeah it's very individual this petition based organizing that um you know people maybe would have seen when it was less important online so now but now there's like change.org and everyone's just sending each other petitions those don't really represent no conversations no 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 at all no they're like data mining exercises Stop. which no fucking thanks yeah 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 that those those things like if you're starting a thing thinking like this is how we're going to do it mm that all those change.org positions are are good for in my humble are uh getting uh contact information from people that's it yeah yeah and if that's not what you're oriented towards using it for then um you're then stop it. likely yeah just don't do it stop it <laughs> stop it right now there's there's two things that i i want to i want to highlight the first is that if you are a seasoned activist and you're listening to us in the next weeks and months, if your organizing meetings do not have a significant number of new people, significant being more than one, <laughs> more than two, if it's 50 people, then more than 10. If you don't have a significant number of new people at every one of your meetings, you are not achieving the critical goal of, of organizing. And maybe that's not your goal. Maybe your goal is to shore up uh, a small group of people to have a, a collective understanding, a collective reflection on a political question that then goes out and does something else. That might be your goal. That is that is fine. There are merits to that. But if you're trying to defeat Pallister, if you're trying to defeat Mo, if you're trying to put everything in, in a row for, for uh, what will confront Jason Kenney during an election or a pre-election period... Every meeting you have has to reach new people. And if you aren't reaching new people, then you need to have a meeting literally on the question of how do we meet new people? Because that is how movements stagnate. And if you're listening to this and you're like, I don't know where to plug myself in, or if you're listening to this and you're like, fuck, I don't know how to find new people. Guess what? (laughs) You're all listening to this. (laughs) Find each other. Put those signals out there. Offer, if you're an organizer, consistently offer online your help to connect people to the movements that they are actively seeking. Because I guarantee you, every single thing that Doug Ford, for example, is going to attack, or every single failure of Justin Trudeau to do anything that's actually feminist, there are people already doing that work. It might not be effective. It might not be large enough. It might be Mm -hmm. totally uh, uh, too located in a small center. But there are people there who can tell you, oh, you know what? Don't drop a banner off of the DVP. It's a bad idea. Or, oh, you know what? We haven't had a contact. We haven't had a contact in Eastern Canada for the longest time. This is amazing. Here, take our resources. Go have yourself a meeting. You know, let's stay in touch. Putting out those signals is so important. And that is that is the only way that we actually make our movements larger and more effective. But I also wanted to go back to this idea of the hospitality that Dolly's mm-hmm. family showed to the campaigners. This is a tactic that is not 
mostly used by the left, Mm -hmm. even though we are apparently the more empathetic side of the political spectrum. (laughs) (laughs) That is the kind of thing that you would see in a small town riding association or municipal councilor's office or or house where where literally people are, are welcomed in the door. That's the kind of thing that you see in the conservatives are so good at that. And they do that while at the same time, like preparing their troops to completely fuck over Ontarians or Canadians or Albertans or British Columbians or whatever. (laughs) We absolutely need to adopt the tactics of the right that are effective. Mm -hmm. And that that shouldn't actually be tactics of the right, that they're just tactics of of decency and of relationship building. Well, if you you, like read like history of organizing stuff like these were definitely tactics of the left. They were. (laughs) <laughs> they were they they used to be ubiquitous on the left but i don't like i perhaps we've lost that in desperation we think that the, the you know it's all about quickness and getting out the door and doing this as fast as possible and um have lost the community and relationship building aspect in some places not everywhere um but the yeah. but the right certainly does understand that you need to make people feel like people in order to make them do things so that other people will never be able to eat again they get that. <laughs> uh, yeah. Humanizing, humanizing our movements, humanizing uh, who is involved with these movements is so important. And and then it also helps to bring other people into the more radical organizing spaces that that it are actually very difficult to access. That, you know, if you're honestly afraid of going to a rally because there's all these like scary images that the press is putting out or that politicians say, you need someone to hold your hand to get there. And if you're the person in the rally and you're not finding ways to hold other people's hands, like you're part of the problem. One other thing I want to mention about like creativity that we were talking about earlier is that I think that uh, sometimes it can feel scary to implement a big idea or a new idea um, and because you just you don't know how it's going to turn out. Um, I want I'm hoping that I can encourage people to try to l- either lose that fear or just like get comfortable living in it because you know it's either you don't do the creative thing that no one's done before and nothing changes or you do it and the worst that can happen is that nothing changes (laughs) like it doesn't work and it doesn't work and nothing changes is like okay shitty if you've put in a lot of effort into it yeah but that's actually it's it's not the worst thing that could happen because you learned something. So maybe Nora spent a whole bunch of time, you know, dropping this banner over the overpass, like getting a banner together, dropping it, blah, blah, blah. And it sucks because it didn't work and it was annoying that it didn't work. But now she knows that like this tactic is not the one. And that is important information to have. It's always there's always a win somewhere. Like there's always something to to learn so, you know, you, you got to like live in that, like, is this pride thing going to work? Whoa. OK, that happened, <laughs> you know, or, um, you know, there's been other things that, you know, like I've been doing this for years now, so I'm pretty good at figuring out what's going to work and what's not. But there's been tons of stuff that I've done that doesn't work. And it's just like a matter of being like, OK, that didn't work. Why? Get all get all the people together, talk about it, have a meal, figure it out, do something different the yeah. next time. 
And and really, you know, I joke about that banner drop, but I know two people who were whose politics and activism were sealed that day, <laughs> including one. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Including one who was like chased by the police and then had to hide for like 45 minutes or something. <laughs> And he became, and, and you know, you know these folks, I'm not going to name them. Uh, maybe when we stop recording, I'll tell you who they are. But it was like, okay, I'm convinced this is, this is, this is my place. I understand why we need to do this kind of work. And, and it was wonderful. And it was a, like, as, a, as an action, it was a total failure. And as an, as an experience of growth, it was Amazing. absolutely perfect. So get out there, you know what to do. And look, I, I, the one other thing that I will say about organizing is like, I get it that some people just don't have time, that that's a situation that, you know, like you, you, we're living in this like capitalist society that like saps all of your time from being able to organize. If you don't have a lot of time and you have some expendable cash, send it to people who are doing some organizing, like help to support uh, places uh, who that mm -hmm. are, you know, working to change uh, the system that we live in, if, if that's all you can do. And if you can't do that, maybe like send a little um, encouraging notes to people or, or, you know, publish something online about, you know, on your social media about how these people are doing great work. But all of that is is organizing. But you should, as with the amount of time and money that you have, figure out the best way to spend that to to do the very simple things that we talked about doing on this podcast.